Podcast Movies Edition, presented by Phil Hinton. Hello and welcome to this week's AV Podcast Movies Edition. Coming up, we got the latest HD and DVD news. We review Planet of the Apes on Blu-ray Disc and The Last Samurai on HD DVD. And in this week's Movies Roundtable, we discuss movie memorabilia. From AV Play, it's this week's DVD and HD news and reviews. And as always, we start with the DVD and HD news, and Chris is back from his holidays. Hello, Chris. Hello. Hello, everyone. Hope you're all well. So how is life at the moment then? Noisy, messy, and um, intense lack of sleep. Typical family jollity. So you're Sorry, gonna... f- forgive my lack of enthusiasm, but this is what lack of sleep does to you. <laughs> so let's uh, kick things off for you, Chris. What have you got for us this week? What I can talk about now, region one I've got to look forward to from Fox Home Entertainment. We have some supposedly um, vintage sci-fi classics coming up in June, 5th of June this year, all priced individually at $19.98. Now, a couple of them certainly are reputed to be classics. One of them is Fantastic Voyage, where scientists are miniaturised and injected into the bloodstream of a, an ailing scientist. That's ailing, not an alien scientist. With a 60 minutes to cure him from a, a rather nasty disease that he has. And it, at the time, it was a very groundbreaking movie, effects-wise. It was wonderful. And this is a special edition which has quite a lot of stuff added to it by the looks of things. We've got commentaries, we've got lava lamps and celluloid, a tribute to the visual effects of Fantastic Voyage, a nice feature out there. We have storyboard to scene comparisons, screen tests, galleries, deleted scenes, script to storyboard stuff. A lot of stuff you're going to be clicking through and probably never ever return to. But to be quite honest, I'm going to get it. It's a 2.35 to 1 anamorphic and in English stereo. That's one. I would recommend that one. That's quite a classic. Next up, we have uh, one I've never actually heard of, The Neptune Factor, which looks like it's a sort of, well, I don't know, it's a deep-sea sort of drama. Um, I'm not really going to go into detail on what it's about, because I don't think anyone's ever heard of this before. Uh, again, it's 2.35 to 1, anamorphic, English stereo. Ernest Borgnine's in it, and he has a little featurette discussing the, the, uh, the film. And there's a few TV spots, trailers, radio spots, and a photo gallery as well. And, and, this is quite interesting, there's um, a nice little score and effects track by Lalo Schifrin, uh, a wonderful uh, composer from the 70s. Uh, so, I don't know, I might actually check that out, thinking about it now. And then, of course, we have one which is reputed to be a classic, but I think it's actually quite boring. It's Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, and it says here, the Global Warming Edition. Mm. I think we all know what this one's about. Uh, Walter Pigeon is, is Admiral Nelson on board the Atomic Submarine, which... Dives down deep and encounters lots and lots of um, rather naff adventures and some pretty appalling effects as well. Of course, it spawned a, a famous TV series, which, bizarrely enough, I enjoyed far more than the movie. But again, this is um, a very feature-packed um, special edition. 2.35 to 1, anamorphic again. It's got an English Dolby Digital 4, 4 channel surround, which could be interesting. 
We have commentaries again, uh, a Barbara Eden interview. We have Working with Erwin Allen, who of course devised the movie and the subsequent TV series. Storyboards and sets, interviews with Peter Laurie and Walter Pigeon, uh, the sets again, Erwin Allen's vision. A lot of stuff, reading it out as a list doesn't really mean a lot, but production stills, production art. Um, Void to the Bottom of the Sea comic book, that sounds quite interesting. And probably a lot of galleries about collectibles, original props, and a tour around the sea view, that's a submarine, and a mini sub miniature. And yeah, for a fan, it's going to be the, you know, the ultimate addition to have, I suppose. And I think I'll wait till near the time to, to think about looking at that one. But certainly, Fantastic Voyages is the one that I will plump for. And once again, they are all out on the 5th of June this year. Okay, some uh, some cracking sounding sets there coming out, and uh, we'll move on to Seth. Seth, what do you have? Well, something that actually gets me excited for once, and that's a pretty rare occasion. It's Warner's announcement that they are bringing out the Matrix trilogy on HD DVD from the 22nd of May. Now, there's going to be two versions. You're going to get the uh, sort of the Matrix collection, and you're going to get the Ultimate Matrix collection. The main difference is is that you're not going to get things like the Animatrix, etc. In the uh, slightly cheaper uh, box set, um, the ultimate um, one will be exactly the same as the box set that came out about a year or so ago um, on regular DVD. Um, at the moment, we don't know what we're going to be getting, uh, other than there's going to be five discs in the ultimate one, and they're going to be flippers. Um, but you're going to get 1080p, 235 to one transfers. You're going to get obviously the Dolby Digital Plus, and with a bit of luck, we might actually get True HD. But you never know. Um, if you haven't seen the movies, um, where have you been? Basically, um, it's the uh, uh, the tagline I loved was that the original Matrix was the Phantom Menace George Lucas never saw coming um, because it basically blew that out of the water because they were on uh, the cinema at the same time. Oh, it's basically uh, a, a huge action sci-fi religious overtones FX fest um, with Keanu Reeves going whoa a lot, um, but damn fine even though. The, the, the two sequels were a little bit hokey it's definitely worth having and a big release there for HD DVD any news on the Blu-ray because it is Warner so they're tend to release both um, Blu-ray is coming out later on in the year but no date has been specified um, the obvious difference will be the fact that the Blu-ray version will probably have 550 gig discs um, which will be non-flippers um, compared to the HD DVD release but uh, again uh, no information has been released beyond that Okay, so staying with uh, HD and Blu-ray, Paramount Home Entertainment has announced the release of The Untouchables on USA Region A and HD DVD from the 3rd of July. The set will present a widescreen 235 to 1 1080p transfer, English Dolby Dig 5.1, extras in there look identical to the DVD which was released last year, which is four featurettes and the theatrical trailer. So, uh, Simon, what do you have to round us off today? A little bit of Region 2 news here. Um, a couple of films starring Eddie Murphy coming to America and Treading Places coming from Paramount Home Entertainment. Um, they'll be released on the 4th of June um, as two disc special editions. Um, Treading Places, uh, Eddie Murphy's second film, I believe. Um, not a bad film. Pretty good. Um, reasonable uh, extras with that one. Uh, one, two, three, four, five um, featurettes and some deleted scenes. Coming to America, not quite so good in, in my eyes. Um, very 80s looking and some really, really stupid haircuts. Again, four featurettes and a little bit of a, a vintage sit down with Eddie as he sits down and chats and jokes along as he does. 
Um, that's coming out on the 4th of June. No prices yet. Okay, so that's our uh, DVD and HD news. And just before we finish, some of our listeners will be aware, some people won't be aware. Uh, but CD Wow, who are uh, one of the biggest suppliers of DVD and CDs to the UK, were recently involved in a court case with the BPI and basically forced to change the way that they do business. Uh, guys, did you hear about this news? Not a thing, no. Found in contempt of court was the uh, wording, wasn't it? Yeah, if you actually go to the website, they've actually got a, a little box in that says, You may have heard about the court case between CD Wow and the BPI. We wish to reassure you that this judgment will no way affect the smooth running of our business, and CD Wow is continuing to deliver the best value in entertainment products for our loyal customers. Is that not further in contempt of the ruling? Um, technically, they are just going, Oh, you've ruled, against, uh, ruled against us, uh, but here you go, here's a finger extended in your general direction. <laughs> We're going to carry on. All of well, us to you. Well, that's, that's what it sounds like, and oh. um, and I, I, I don't know, love them or hate them, I suppose, um, kudos to CD Wow, they're sticking by, uh, sticking sticking by the guns, guns at, at the minute, so... Quite defiant, isn't it? Yeah. I, I always admire that. So it will be interesting to see how that turns out, but looking at the website, they've still got all the, the usual products available, and still at the, the normal low prices, so be interesting to see how that one turns out. If anybody wants any more information on that, believe the Daily Mail, BBC News web user and uh, Reuters all covering stories on that so do a quick Google and you'll be able to read up on that story and that's our uh, DVD and HD news for this week for the biggest and best DVD and HD news and reviews visit avplay.com this week's DVD reviews And it's time for this week's DVD reviews, and he's back, back again. Yes, he's back. It's Mr. Slim Shady himself, Chris McAnini. So what are you reviewing for us this week, Chris? Oh dear, what am I reviewing? Well, sadly, it is the travesty that was Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes, a remake of an absolute classic, groundbreaking and very influential science fiction um, movie milestone. Charlton Heston's original version from 1968 is a classic, truly iconic um, movie which touches on a lot of intellectual and sociological metaphors. It's sci-fi, but it's highbrow. What does Tim Burton do with it? Oh my God, he just ditches all the intelligence of, of you know of the, the original script into what is just an action fest, and not a particularly good action fest at that. Uh, Marky Mark Wahlberg is the the new everyman space astronaut who ends up landing on the planet of the apes, and in absolutely whistle stop t- um, time he meets a rather lousy underclass of you know slave like um, bedraggled gypsy humans who are forever being uh, subjugated and captured by the apes and taken to ape city ape city it's a planet of the apes so why do they call their city ape city it's obviously going to be ape city couldn't they have other names for these things anyway like a lot of other people at the time this film came around on its theatrical run, I was suckered into the hype machine that came along with it, and uh, I bought all the posters, the magazines, everything I could possibly get my hands on, because I was such a fan of the original movie. And of course, what Tim Burton handed out was an absolute travesty. It, it, Script-wise, it's appalling. Acting-wise, Marky Mark, how I, who I like in other movies uh, from time to time, is just truly the most wooden thing ever. Um, You've got a, a synchronized swimmer uh, as, as one of his co-stars. That's all she can do. She's got a nice pair of legs, but she certainly can't act. 
you've got Helena Bonham Carter, who looks bizarrely like Michael Jackson in, in, her, in Rick Baker's prosthetic mask. And, uh, you know, it, it, Chris Christopherson pops up as well. It's pointless. It's absolutely pointless. All the cleverness and the wit and the intelligence of Charlton Heston's version is just thrown out the window in... in and what you get in return, some really lacklustre, appallingly uh, handled action set pieces. However, on the, on the plus side of it, the, the effects, the production values, and particularly the apes themselves, do look pretty damn good. Obviously, Rick Baker, who cut his teeth creating ape masks for films like John Landis's Schlock and Dino De Laurenti's um, 70s remake of King Kong. Well, yeah, the, the masks are brilliant. Tim Roth as General Fade, the renegade, vicious renegade um, chimpanzee uh, army chieftain is, he's actually one of the plus points of the movie altogether, giving, delivering a pretty manic and ferocious performance. Uh, but you have the gorilla, the gorillas who always were frightening in the original movie and even in the TV show. Despite their rather implacable and immobile masks, Rick Baker fashions very, very expressionate masks, which are very lifelike, very realistic. Um, but strangely, not very frightening because they're so realistic and you've got the watery eye effect, so they just don't look particularly ferocious or, or you know, they don't put the fear of God into you like the originals did. So, and the twist. Do I really need to go into the twist at all? The pathetic, absolutely awful uh, original film actually had a major twist which made people really sit up and, you know, and gape in wonder. Oh my God, how have they done this? And then. So what did the writers come up with this time? Well, we're going to do something quite similar, haven't we? And of course, their result, their their version of the twist is just totally illogical and stultifyingly dull. But the cinema when I first saw it, people's jaws hit the floor. Not in absolute, my God, how clever is that? That's powerful stuff. Just, Jesus, did they really think they can get away with this? That is the most ridiculous thing I'd ever seen at the time. It's truly appalling. Now, on Blu-ray, well, to be quite honest, I was looking forward to looking at this because <laughs> although I bought, I bought the original standard edition and I thought it had quite a good transfer, you may ask why did I bother buying the original if I didn't like the film that much. And to be honest, I don't really know. But Blu-ray turned up and 1080p, the image, um, it's a 2.35 to 1 aspect. And I'm afraid it's not very good. It's not a good showcase for Blu-ray at all. Uh, the film is predominantly dark which on standard seem to work a lot better. Here the dark doesn't reveal much detail and rather hampers a lot of the scenes that take place. And at the other end of the spectrum you have the scenes set around the Kalima which is the what is the forbidden zone for the apes in the desert sequences towards the film's climax. Yes I know they're dusty, yes I know the sands are meant to be white and it's meant to be a bit shimmery. Well I'm afraid the contrast is warped out too much for my liking and they become the backgrounds become very soft and indistinct there's um, a lot of grain is revealed in the image at this stage and it just becomes rather unwatchable so you've gone from one end of the spectrum to the other and the bits in between well okay there is some nice detail here and there in the jungle sequences and close-up scenes of the apes and their armor in particular do look really good and again th those watery eyes I mentioned earlier in, in the ape masks yes they have a nice shine to them as well. But overall, I'm not impressed with the picture at all. Sound-wise, we have a DCS HD Master Lossless track. Now, of course, with current technology at my disposal, I'm not able to hear that at its full capacity, but I'm hearing the DTS core. Now, the original 
um, standard edition had quite a glorious DTS track in itself, and this certainly um, you know is more than up to the measure of the original disc. Terrific use of the surrounds, absolutely ferocious sounds for the um, the the marching of the apes, the crashing of uh, Mark Wahlberg's spacecraft onto the ape planet. Tremendous steerage around all the speakers, uh, very very pumping, very lively. Um, and seamless panning around the speaker. It, great immersive track all round, thoroughly enjoyable. Sadly, it's saddled with a film that doesn't really, you know, make you want to show it off to anybody else or, you know, sit through it again. But a great track. I would like to have heard the P a PCM uncompressed because I'm, I'm a big, you know, I champion yeah, the PCM uncompressed tracks. They're simply the best I've heard. Maybe when I hear DTS HD in its full, you know, full glory, maybe I'll change my opinion perhaps but PCM is the one for me and sadly it wasn't on this particular release. Now special features wise <laughs> again the, the double disc for the standard release had lots and lots of stuff and some of it if I remember rightly was actually quite well thought out and you know you, you could sit through them all and the one thing that I didn't like about the original release was Tim Burton's commentary. Don't get me wrong folks I like Tim Burton stuff I'm quite a devotee of, of Burton's but he has had the odd slip up now and again, this film being one of them. And another thing about him that I don't like is his rather banal, half-finished, half stuttering, stammering, ridiculously what he's trying to say, commentary tracks. And this is one of the worst. Along with Sleepy Hollow, he seems to... He mentions little bits here and there, little bits, you know, lengthy gaps in between it. And annoyingly starts a sentence and doesn't finish it. He just doesn't know what he's going on about. It's a, it's just a ramble, and uh, sadly, I basically couldn't put up with it. I never listened to the full thing on the standard edition, and I certainly couldn't manage it this time around either. So, sadly, it's not a glowing release I have to cover this time, I'm afraid. Um, but I'm pretty certain there's fans, sort of fans out there for this movie, but perhaps they may have expected greater things from the Blu-ray release. Sadly, it doesn't really deliver, I'm afraid. So it doesn't really get a major thumbs up from me at all. Uh, not a recommendation there for me. So we go from a disappointed Chris over to Simon. So Simon, what have you been looking at this week? Well, I've been looking at um, the Tom Cruise epic uh, film, The Last Samurai. Uh, quite an old disc, actually. Almost a, a year old, in fact. It's. Uh, I'm not as disappointed as Chris is with his film. Um, I, I quite like this. Um, I remember in the cinema actually um, seeing the uh, the trailer for this, thinking, "Oh dear, oh dear, it's Tom Cruise doing dances with wolves." But um, nothing could be further from the truth, actually. When I um, first spun the disc and, and sat through it, and it's, it's grandiose looking, and it's uh, the the character that Cruise Cruise plays. It's, it seemed to strike a chord, man, and I really started getting into it. There are faults with it, of course. I may, I may talk about them a little bit later. But overall, I, I really quite enjoyed this film. Crew's character, Nathan Algren, he's a, a down-and-out soldier who's been ordered to do various atrocities through his soldiering career and chooses to live with himself by drink, trying to drink himself to death. But he's given one last chance to um, perhaps not redeem himself, but uh, one last hurrah, one last job. He's hired by the Japanese government to try and subjugate, or as he sees it at the time, subjugates the uh, last samurai. The, uh, the samurais of being the leaders of Japan, or the soldiers of Japan, who've held the country in check for a thousand years or so. But the uh, new emperor wants to try and bring the Japan into the 20th century. And seeing the samurai as part of our old way of life is trying to uh, embrace the new. 
um, by bringing in uh, armies, trading, um, all sorts of things that the samurais do not want to do. Most go along with it, but of course the last samurai himself doesn't want to do so. And Nathan Organ is brought in to try and stop him causing havoc and creating havoc with uh, the government and trying to stop the Emperor's plans. Pretty basic stuff. Of course, it all goes wrong in the first ten minutes and Nathan Organ is he's captured, taken to the village, um, and he, where he learns the way of the samurai, not uh, how to fight, but although that does come into it, he um, tries to embrace their, their, their way of life. He uh, learns to live with his regrets, live with his past, and in doing so, um, becomes a better person. And in the, towards the end of the film, he actually sides with the samurais in trying to, to make a stand for what they believe in. Of course, history is history, and uh, the samurais were, in fact, um, well, they weren't wiped out, because obviously some still alive now, but they, they're, they're certainly their way of life was ended. So onto the transfer, we have a 2.4 to 1, 1080p high definition transfer, and it's pretty darn good. I almost wanted to give this um, uh, top scoring, um, apart from the few problems it had, which uh, denied its its, its uh, full points. Um, Detail-wise, lovely, really pristine, right down to uh, the armors, the, the gun flashes, the rain, everything is just quite brilliant. Um, the, the panning shots, the mountains in the distance, the grass, the trees, it's pristine, postcard pristine clear, it's wonderful, wonderful to watch. Colour wise as well, greens, reds, blues, everything shines off the screen, it's really, really quite fantastic. Sound wise we've got three tracks, English and French Dolby Digital Plus 5.1 and a Spanish 2.0. First thing to say, it's incredibly quiet incredibly quiet you really have to turn up the amp to get anything decent from the speakers uh, double to what I normally listen to but once you you do turn it up and you, you the music starts going and the thumps start going it's it's a pretty damn good track plenty of surround going on um, particularly in the battle scenes you've got some fantastic rumble from the guns from the horses um, right at the right at the base they're really moving the furniture around thumping the floor fantastic stuff then you've got um, the score Hanseman's score floating over the top there, um, really dr dramatically increasing the tension. And then you've got all the, all the foley noise, all the, the bangs and crashes of the swords and everything going on as well. It's all clear, it's all perfect, and it's really, it's really, really good. It's such a shame it's so quiet, otherwise, again, this would be getting fantastic marks. On to the extras, we've got a, a, a quite a large amount of extras on here, um, most of which are, are pretty... I wouldn't use the word dull, but they're sort of one-watch features, um, three featurettes, um, a world of detail, silken armour, um, and the weapons is, is really three featurettes, sort of 10-15 minutes long, talking about what they talk about. There's no, nothing particularly interesting in there. Um, there's a commentary from the director, Edward Zwick. Very enthusiastic about his projects, and quite rightly so. I'm not really a fan of single people talking, um, and certainly in a, in a, in a film of, of this length, he, uh, he's, he doesn't run out of things to say, but he seems to sort of repeat himself and he goes on and on. Um, I think it would have been much better if he'd have uh, spoken or bounced ideas off crews who, who also produced the film, because when they sit together in one of the extra, um, one of the other extras on this on this disc, um, they they have a good rapport together, and they're obviously extremely enthusiastic about their projects. It would have been a better commentary, I think, with a pair of them together. Other extras, the best extra on here uh, would be the History Channel's documentary, History versus Hollywood. I really enjoyed this actually. American made for the History Channel, so you can see all the all where the ad breaks come in, and there's plenty of them. But um, very very interesting. 
how the film differs and its similarities with, with actually what happened. Um, I found it very fascinating, one of the best um, extras there. So to sum up, um, I would recommend this disc. Um, I really like the film. Pitch and sound, very, very good, and a, and a good array of extras. This is, uh, this is a good disc. For more DVD news and reviews, visit avplay.com. This week's Roundtable Discussion. And we move on to this week's Roundtable Discussion. This week we're talking about not necessarily movies, but movie memorabilia. It all started in the day back uh, when George Lucas brought out Star Wars. That was the first sort of real movement towards movie memorabilia. So um, let's start the conversation um, nice and gently with Chris, who I know is a big fan of movie memorabilia. So... um, Chris, is it just sad people like yourself that are into collecting things? <laughs> um, well, yeah, to the, the degree that I've gone to, yeah, you've got to be extremely sad. But um, no, I, I don't know. I think a lot more people are getting into collecting bits and bobs to do with movies because of well, eBay for one thing, and people thinking that they can get all of a prop and it'd be worth a fortune one day, or even the you know the autograph hunters. But I think the main the mainstream area where people are getting into now is that virtually every genre film that comes out seems to have a huge plethora of action figures in tow um, and, and a really huge merchandise machine with posters, t-shirts, C- CDs, comic books, you know, you name it, games, there's, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of, there's a big package with every movie that comes out now it seems and people like me um, who are at the complete ultra sado end of the spectrum just have to have everything that does come out and it's uh, yeah, it's it's a bit of wear and tear on the old wallet, but hey, it keeps me young, and I love it. I couldn't I, I couldn't actually not do it. Uh, if I'm particularly into a movie myself, I'll get everything I possibly can. <laughs> and of course, the, the marketing hype and the machine that works behind the scenes knows that people like me will have to have every variant on it on their action figures that come out, every art of and making of book that comes along, and you know. Yeah, you can build a, a huge, huge collection, but the days of these things actually being worth anything, I think, are, are dwindling because of mass production. Basically, you really have to get all the, a, a good prop um, and one that was screen used if you want to try and make money out of this kind of game. But then again, if you try and do that, then you're not in it for the love of the uh, the movie or the merchandise, the memorabilia. You're into it just to try and profit from it, and that's that's not me. I don't know how you guys feel about that. I don't know if you. If you even collect anything yourselves, but I don't. But um, I have been to to many. Um, I haven't recently. I must. I, I say, but I used to go to uh, memorabilia in Birmingham, Birmingham NEC, yeah. a few years back. I, I used to have a stall there. Did you really? We yeah. probably met. <laughs> um, well, me and my, my mate, we had a, a huge, fantastic idea. We were going to make a fortune because we manufactured and we sold um, action figure stands. Because okay. if, if you've noticed, <laughs> if you collect action figures, they nearly all have a little hole drilled into their feet, which yes. is obviously there for, well, it, it isn't there for a stand, it was there for the production line when they were spray painted, but it could be used to make a stand. And particularly the nerds who had all, oops, sorry, potential customers, because I've still got a lot of stuff left, um, Star Wars fanatics who have all the figures, but they're very limited in the way that they make stands for these things. Um, Hasbro, who was the, the big leading chain for Star Wars figures at the time, and still are, I think, um, didn't ever produce any action figure stands for them, for the vintage ones or for the newer ones. So we thought, well, hang on a minute, there's a corner of the market there, a little niche to, to be exploited. 
let's do it. So we managed to make these fantastic and all different types of different colours and shades and styles. And uh, we had a stall at the NEC <laughs> for about, what, three years, in fact. Really? And, uh, yeah, we were called Scene in 3D. And, yes, the problem with that, anyone who's listening to this and who wants to think, oh, you know, there's an idea. I'm into all this kind of stuff. I, maybe I can buy and sell stuff and go down to memorabilia fairs and make a fortune. The problem is, if you're, if you're into what you're dealing in as well, any money you make, you will spend while you're there. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what we did, and exactly how we ended up going under. <laughs> so, there, there's a little moralistic story for you there. But, yeah, fairs like that, though, I mean, they're, they're brilliant. So, did, what, what did you pick up from there did you, when, you, when you went down? Well, to be honest, I used to go there to, um, to, to pick up... Uh, Videos and DVDs. <laughs> mm. <laughs> You've seen them. Or your rare region ones. Yeah. <laughs> mm. yeah. We've got yeah, as well. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, that's for the reason I used to go. But uh, uh, the pal that I used to go with, he was into very much into models, um, mm. resin models, yeah. um, which you could only seem to pick up at these big fairs. And he used to, you know, spend um, hundreds and hundreds of pounds on these um, uh, anime models mainly. Um, because they they sort of imports from Japan and then the, the garage stuff sort of yeah. uh, came around. Um, but since he stopped doing that, I sort of stopped going. Um, really, which is a shame because they are. And they, they, when did you stop, Chris? When when when's the last time you went? Uh, well, actually, in business was probably two thousand and three. I think it was. Yeah. It's oh. probably, yeah. It's, Maybe 2004, I can't remember now. It was 2003, 2004, something like that. Yeah, because I can't um, remember the last time I went. I think it, was, it must have been around um, sort of the, the Star Wars-y uh, films, but I can't remember which one, because I, I remember a guy walking around dressed as Darth Maul when he's big. Well, uh, that was the thing, thing I was going to come to, because the, the thing about memorabilia fairs, particularly the, that, that one is called memorabilia. It's a huge, it's the biggest yeah. one in Europe. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's absolutely amazing if you're into this kind of thing. But there's, there's a bit of a carnival atmosphere to it as well. You have the official people in costume who think are they called Garrison? They're Star Wars geeks from all over the world who they actually have their own stormtrooper identity numbers and all this kind of thing and a rank. You know they have a yeah. career as stormtroopers, <laughs> but they have the legit um, you know the equipment. Well, I don't think mm-hmm. the blasters work, but I mean they do look the part and they march up and down all the aisles and all that. But you have the Joe public tends to come in in costume as well. Yes, and until you've seen a family so. of Klingons, literally. Yeah, shouting in Klingon at each other, and, and that, you know, having a really serious domestic, but doing it in Klingon. My <laughs> God, yeah. you know, if only I had a flamethrower from Aliens, <laughs> because you know there are there are degrees of sadness which even I won't stoop to, only because I can't speak Klingon, I suppose. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I I've not been there for ooh, the last twelve months certainly, because uh, even as a, a punter, because I've just been too damn skinned to go. Mm. But the art, it's a great day out though. I do, I do love it. It's a, as I say, you are, it's a bit of a freak show atmosphere sometimes. Well, it, it's getting that way. I mean, that's that's one of, again one of the reasons we sort of stopped going because it was getting very very commercial. There was a there was a time when you could go there, you know, for for serious buyers. Yeah. Um, but now it's just getting. They they seem to be getting um, more and more uh, book signings. You know, some and extra sports crept into it. Sport, sports and movies. <laughs> Literally half of the um, the hall, the NEC, was taken over by a sports memorabilia thing. No. The, the shock and horror upon you know, like-minded people's faces when they saw that. You know, aging football stars and people that I wouldn't really know. 
and <laughs> endless queues for autographs and things, which I've never, no matter who it is, who, who you're queuing up for, I, I would never queue up for someone's autograph, mm. not even Russell Crowe, you know, I wouldn't do it. Um, having said that, I have actually got his autograph, but I mean, that's another story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't queue up for it. <laughs> I mean, that's another, another major thing about, um, about memorabilia, people really want autographs, don't they? I've never really understood that. I mean, these people, they send off for autographs. Mm. Now, if you're going to have an autograph from someone, it, surely to God it makes sense to be standing there in front of them and seeing them do it. Because then at least, even if it's only for like you know 15 seconds that they've seen you or spoken to yeah. you, and there's 4,000 people behind you, they're, they're going to do the same for them as well. But at least there was a personal bit of contact there, wasn't there? If you got it, by, you got it over eBay, one of these signed stills, and, you know... Um, you got the the, cell, the the film cells, which of course, as we know, are all taken from the trailers, aren't they? Yeah. They're not even from the film, you know. And there's another mugs game for. Um, there's probably a lot of people out there who collect this sort of thing. There's a guy in work who, who buys them off. Is it uh, bid up TV or something? Uh-huh. And um, and off eBay, and he's got thousands of them. And yeah, they're all framed and they look, glo- look glorious. But you know, how does he know how genuine they are? There's a signature on them, and there's a little tiny, really indistinct film cell lobbed into it. And ugh, I haven't got the heart to tell him where they're coming from, but because he spends an absolute shed load there, and he thinks his little daughter's going to inherit all this stuff. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. So, guys, there's, there's, there seems to be um, two types of collectors. Basically, um, you've got your your prop collectors, those people that want the real thing or the nearest that can get to the real thing, oh, and then yes. you've got, then you've got your your other memorabilia stuff, your mass-produced stuff. So, um, has anybody actually got? Um, something which is prop based, either a replica or a proper prop. Yes, lots and lots and lots. Um, this is the realm of, of pure sado, but complete and utter um, wow factor for me. I mean, I think that I've always been into. You know, if I could get my hands on anything from a movie, I would always have done it. But it 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 was Gladiator when that came along. I mean, the the prices that I always saw the items at, be they costumes, weapons, whatever. I never really thought, well, I'll, I'd like that, but I'm never going to save up the money to get get hold of that. But when Gladiator came along, I thought, I've, as we all know, it blew me away, and I thought, I've got to have whatever I can get my hands on from that film, I'm going to do it. And uh, I was lucky enough, and I, I, I'm not going to try to, to brag too much, it won't be much to a lot of people anyway, but apart from all the arrowheads and spears and um, a, a top quality shield I got from it, these are screen used, by the way, screen used. That'll tip people, if you're going to buy props, don't get ones that, were, that aren't screen used because they weren't seen in the movie. It's as simple as that. They were made, but probably didn't even get in front of a camera, even in the distance. So it's always got to be screen used. And I managed to get myself um, a full costume. This was in probably two to three months after the film had come out. So the film was a was a bit of a phenomenon at the time, but it was only in, in after about four, five, maybe six months when all of a sudden it became the huge, huge um, colossus that it that it still is, as far as I'm concerned. So I could got I got a full costume at a good, damn good price, and um, it's screen used. It's, it's, this is where the autographs came in. Ridley Scott has signed the authenticity certificate. Prop master, um, Branko Lustig, producer, um, and Russell Crowe's autograph is on there too. And it's you know it's absolutely fantastic. What it is, it's um, from the first sequence where. Um, Maximus is actually um, a gladiator and he wears the sackcloth costume and he's daubed with yellow paint to mark a coward. Now, this costume I've got has the boots, the sackcloth, the belt, 
the sword. Now the sword, you know, it's a lot of them are rubber. This is actually aluminium. It's battle chipped to hell and back. There is Moroccan sand still lodged on it. I've preserved all this, obviously, and there's fake blood all the way down the blade. I mean, it looks you know gruesome as hell, but it's absolutely brilliant. Now the major thing here, um, which I want to mention, is the fact that having watched that film and that scene in particular, you know, frame by frame, umpteen times now. There's only one person who wears those boots with, because it's the full costume that they're all, they have their item coding on them, so it's all part of the set. The same, only one guy wore this full set, and there's only one guy who wore those boots with that costume, and it was Mr. Crow himself. And I'm, not, really? I'm not just saying that, guys. I mean that because he has been. He's, there was a big thing in the headlines um, shortly after the film came out saying about you won't get a single prop from this film that's, that's genuine because we've kept it all. Well. That is a complete lie because they sold off absolutely tons of it, and there you go. That, that's one I've got, and uh, sadly I can't find the mannequin that's big enough to put it on. I mean, all I could, I could, I could track one down, but at the moment it's uh, it's padded out with lots of polystyrene. But uh, and sadly it's too big for me to wear. <laughs> damn, <laughs> damn them! But um, I've also got helmets from Gladiator, um, and. I've got the, the official, official merchandise-wise. I've got the, the swords and the shields and that, um, and yeah, cost a fortune. But hey, I love it. Other props, are, you can get stuff from aliens all the time. Aliens seems to prop, prop, prop up. They are. It seems to prop up quite a lot. And uh, I've got hand grenade from there. I've got some body armor, and one of the helmets. And in fact, that, that, that they're pretty good. If you're into aliens, it's still a, a cult classic. You, you know, you can. Uh, you can get that stuff quite easily. And memorabilia is one of the places to go to. There's a lad that I, I know. I've, I've had a few contacts with him. Um, he's called Gary and he, he lives in Glasgow. And he actually buys film props, proper film props. He yeah. has the Batmobile from the original yeah. Batman film. Um, he has the Austin Powers uh, Shaguar. And we're talking millions and millions yeah. of pounds worth of... Uh, of stuff, and what he does is he rents it out to museums, um, so they can have film exhibitions and stuff like that. And I don't know if you remember the Alien War experience. Yes, um, yeah. It yeah. was in London for a while, and it was in Blackpool for for one season. Well, yeah. that's, that was actually his um, his props, his his idea. He put all that together, and um, quite an amazing uh, thing for for film fans. Um, and obviously, you had your uh, your stage actors in there as well. So you went round in a group, and there was always an actor with you, and the alien would come in. It was all done in darkness with smoke and uh, yeah. strobe lights and all that kind Corridors of corridors and ductways and things. Yeah, yeah, and a fantastic experience. So, so I can see the the use of that kind of thing. But going back to to what you were saying, Chris, where do you put it all? And 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 uh, more, well, more specifically, why why do you have it? Uh, why why do I have it? Um, well. That's quite, quite, quite simple because I love movies to the degree where I want everything I can possibly get. If I'm into a movie, I, I don't just, oh, I like it. You know, there are films like that and I, I wouldn't bother with stuff in them, but well, I, I tend to fall heavily in love with lots of movies. I mean, at the moment, there's, there's a quite historical aspect to all of this because 300 at the moment um, is, is wowing me quite impressively. And I didn't expect there to be a figure range to come out already, but there was, and I had I only found out on Friday, and I was out buying stuff for uh, my son, whose birthday it was yesterday, he was six years old, and um, I went to go and get some Doctor Who stuff, but where would you go in Liverpool? Forbidden Planet. 
And what else is in Forbidden Planet? Lots and lots of action figures. And there was a whole range from 300. I couldn't believe it. I thought, and this is this is the drug. This is the obsessional part. I couldn't afford them, but I thought, nah, it's a big film. Everyone I know, certainly in work, they're all going to go and see it. And a lot of people I work with are quite heavily nerdy as well. And we'd, we'd happily go and get the figures. There was only one King Leonidas figure there. Oh, I had to have that. But you can't just get that one. I have to get that one so you can fight that. Oh, I'll have to get that and that. So I bought the entire series, didn't I? No, that is perhaps no explanation as to why I'm heavily into it and why I do it. Because I can't, I can't put my finger on it. It's just it is like a drug with me. Uh, I am, I am certainly obsessional, um, as people certainly know. And you know, it's a detriment of my family. It's the, uh, it's a sad, sorry state of affairs, but it's also very true. I mean, I put myself in dead lumber many, many times, and I, I always certainly always will. As to where I keep the stuff, there's another, you know, bone of contention in our house because it's everywhere. <laughs> We've got a big house, but you know, I, I'd love to have like the Western Wing would be my own Hollywood museum, you know. But it, sadly, where I am right now, there's statues, there's posters, there's there's a, a sword from Troy behind me. There's one of the gladiator helmets on the shelf behind me here, and you know, that's every room has got stuff in it. Every single room. I'd love to have them in glass cases. I've got all the swords from uh, Lord of the Rings. I'd love to have them mounted on the wall, but with little kids running around, I'm terrified. With my, my DIY skills, I'm terrified of them bouncing off and skewing someone to the floor. So the, a lot of stuff just tends to be, sadly, like a lot of collectors who, you know, they have to have these things, but they don't put enough time and effort into showing them off, perhaps. Mine is a lot of it lying around and um, gathering dust and, you know, I know it's there, and I'm happy to have it, even though I might not see it for like you know from one year to the next. And the wife will often say, "Look, we're a bit strapped for cash. Why don't you flog that that helmet? But you don't you don't wear it, do you? You can't go out. You can't go to work in it. What what good is it? Flog it. Make some money. Feed your family. And the, if I did that, even though I had I, I understand where she's coming from, and you know, and it makes perfect sense. It's very logical. And we have got mouths to feed that are very hungry. <laughs> um, if I lost that particular item, I would feel that for the rest of my life, and I'd only end up having to track it down again. That, that's, <laughs> yes, it's sad. Yes, it's mad, and I'm sorry, <laughs> but that's that's the way it is. Chris, um, what do your friends think about you when they come to your house and doesn't see all have, Oh well, they they love no god, they they love it. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you you were a kid and you had all the um, the top trump cards, you had all the well Star Wars figures at the time. You became very popular, didn't you? <laughs> now, uh, I suppose that's never really left. So I've got a lot of fake friends. Just as what I've said. <laughs> it's it's um it, it's amazing. Um, it'd be great actually listening into a conversation of your mates when they leave your house. What they actually <laughs> what they actually truly think. <laughs> well, a, a lot of my mates. I mean, I've known for you know a hell of a long time. I've got you know mates from the forces, mates from where I used to work, mates from school. So everyone knows, uh, and people I work with, who, you know, there was quite a good bunch of people there. And I'm lucky to work with on my on my particular section. There's it's five people I work with in my immediate environment who are heavily into movies, and you know we go to flicks together, and several of them buy by action figures, buy posters, buy the soundtracks. So I'm never away from nerdy speak. I'm never away from like-minded geeks and you know uh, people of that ilk. So, you know, that's where I fit in, and I'm probably the uber geek of all, because I'm the one who puts his priorities 
his proper priorities right at the back of the um, the list and put myself first because I I will go and get these things um, and you know it, it is certainly probably some kind of disorder and there will be a program about people like me at some point on Channel 4 and trying to find the cure really just poking fun at the freaks like me but you know I mean I'll tell you one thing I've got which is absolutely useless It's com it costs a lot of money and I haven't even opened it and seen it for real it is a 50 foot long vinyl banner from the opening of Gladiator in London it's 10 feet high 50 feet long it's it's in a great big wooden um, case sealed with a photograph on the front of it of what it looks like oh it's all certified and confirmed and what the even I think now what the hell is the point of that and I can't I can't even wrap it around my house you know it's just it's so ridiculous but likewise I couldn't part with it either I've got I've got a bunch of vinyl um, big big vinyl posters for Van Helsing not a great film by anyone's standards at all um, but the art, the poster artwork for that film, before it came out, certainly was very eye-catching. You had the great big eight-foot-tall werewolf. That's how werewolves should be, folks. Eight-foot-tall and massive muscle-bound things. And there was a poster for the werewolf, poster for Van Helsing, poster for Frankenstein's monster, poster for the, the Dracula creature, and and the big overall poster. I managed to get all them. Job lot. Quite expensive. Gorgeously are, too. Sadly, the film was a turkey, wasn't it? But, you know... <laughs> They're nice to have, and I actually probably do see them quite a bit more than a lot of the other stuff because they're just such good quality. Seth, you're um, like everybody else here. You're a film fan. Do you go at the same extent as Chris? I don't think anybody that is certifiably sane goes to the same extreme as uh, as <laughs> young Christopher. Um, I have a few things. I have a few things, but it, it's uh, it's not like an obsessive compulsion um, with possibly one argument, um, but we'll. Everyone probably knows that one. No, I've got, I've got pretty much autographs. If I can get them in person, as Chris says, I uh, I will. But um, there are means and mechanisms that I uh, that I can utilise um, to get hold of others. Basically, um, other than that, I've got like the iRobot head, which was for the Japanese DVD edition, um, and I've got a couple of the uh, Tomb Raider Temple uh, Cradle of Life um, statues, but. So that's about it. And and where do you put all that stuff? Then is is it on show for for people to see? I have a, a I have a, a above my computer one of the Laras and the the I, uh, the iRobot head. Um, the autographs, no, they're pretty much all. Um, for the most part, I mean, I have an obscene amount of um, autographs, but there's there's loads that are adorning the walls I mean if I have a quick look around um, I've got Sherilyn Fenn there's uh, Jennifer Tilly who I met she's on the wall Neve Campbell um, the, the Garbage Band uh, which I got at their concert uh, Zamir Jovovich um, and I'm sure there's an Angelina one somewhere Bound to be an Angelina one somewhere <laughs> so, well, so it's more sort of autographs and, and that kind of thing for you then yeah I I, 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 I can't I, can't really go for it like um, like Chris does. Um, I, I think my my fascination kind of um, is very very much different there. Um, I think the nearest I've had to um, the 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 action figures, toys as we call them, uh, is uh, believe it or not the band Kiss because that's actually more me. I'm, I'm a huge Kiss uh, the, the the group fan, so I've got a lot of Kiss memorabilia, but. But movie stuff, no, it's pretty, 
pretty sparse. Well, you know, I've got to say, I've got a, a flat all to myself. It's quite a big flat, and I've got a dedicated cinema room. But as far as I've gone, I've got a one uh, one fourteen scale um, DeLorean from Back to the Future. Mm. Uh, I've got some movie posters in the cinema room. And, of course. And that's it. I've, I have nothing else. I always look at these websites and the Forbidden Planet. I always go in there and have a, a wander around every couple of months oh. and have have a look at what's on offer and and also look at the um, uh, the replica stuff. You know the lightsabers and all that kind of thing. And yeah, you know it'd be nice to have. But then you look at the price and you think three hundred quid. Um, no, I don't think yeah. so. Sadly, I've got the lightsabers as well. Gee, you surprise us. And yeah, the blasters. Oh yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I, being Gemini, I can see both sides of the uh, the argument. Uh, not that there is an argument. Um, so I, I know exactly how ridiculous the whole thing is. But hey, I love it, and I'm proud of my collection, <laughs> even though I don't see probably three quarters of it, <laughs> and I've forgotten where most of it actually is. But uh, you know, I couldn't part with it the same at the same same time. And uh, I mean, it's part and parcel of my my obsession for movies. Um, I mean, again, 300 at the moment is ruling me. Everything I talk about, everything I, I, I you know, I'm listening to the soundtrack almost constantly. And uh, the trailers are coming on the TV all the time. Now I've got the making of book, I'm rereading Frank Miller's graphic novel, and yeah, it, and this, as you can recognise, as ebbs and flows with this kind of thing. And you know, I'm, I'm at a peak with, or I'm about to peak with 300. And now, of course, Spider-Man 3 is going to come out. Something else will come along, and I'll, and that will spare me on. I'll, I'll buy all the books and buy all the merchandise, and you know. I think, to be honest, the the, the prop buying side for me is really going to have to, um, you know. But I haven't bought a lot, but what I have bought has been expensive, and rather pointless. But you know, I don't really think that I'm going to be indulging too much more in, in that side of things, um, because I can't afford to. It's as simple as that. It would have to be something really, really good, and I'd really, you know. I'd be, I'd be hunting high and low for the specific item if, if I knew it existed and I wouldn't set for anything less. I wouldn't, you know, just try and palm myself off with a lot of uh, lesser quality items, which I've done in the past. Hell, I reviewed Planet of the Apes, didn't I, the, the remake? Well, before that film came out, there was a massive auction for stuff from that, which should have been, you know, the obvious telltale sign. This film's going to be a clunker. We're going to get rid of everything dirt cheap. And yes, I bought some um, some weaponry from that. Some some of the human clubs that they used in the big battle, and some of the ape swords and scimitars. Uh, I, I, you know, there's not much of that left, I can tell you. But I wouldn't be making that mistake again. So I, I was buying blind there, basically, just assuming. Oh, it's going to be great. I mean, a lot of people will be listening to this and thinking, you know, my God, care in the community cases or what. But um, to be honest, you have a look on the forums and uh, we have a, a memorabilia forum on the AV forums. You actually have a look in there and look at people's collections and there's there's hundreds of people on the forums that collect all this kind of thing, you know, from action figures to autograph posters that they have framed up and, and all that kind of thing. It truly is big business, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. It is. It is big business, and um, the uh, the filmmakers know this, of course. Um, I think Chris made the point very, very early on. Actually, um, they they bring out it's it's another money making tool, isn't it? That uh, that the film um, 
as well as the music which we've spoken about, they bring out the, the CDs, they, the memorabilia is, is another big part and part of the whole package of the movie experience, whether it be um, the action figures or, or movie props. Um, part and parcel, of course, is the Star Wars, which you mentioned right at the very, very beginning, which is probably the start of it. Um, with and uh, but, but you see, you see, it went all went all strange, didn't it? The, um, the it becomes collectible if it's unopened, yeah. And uh, what's the point? You know, if you're going to buy these things, you want to have these things to, to to do something with, to buy something to keep it in a packet, then to to sell it on. I I don't see the I can't I can't fathom that. Well, doesn't, actually, doesn't, um, Mark Hamill mentioned that a while back. Obviously, Mark Hamill who played Luke Skywalker. He, he obviously got all the freebies at the time when the first film came out and the subsequent films, and he had all the toys and everything, and he actually took them all out of the boxes and let his kids play with them. Oh, yeah. And then when his kids were 15, 16-year-old, they, they, they turned around and started accusing him, saying, you should have kept it in the boxes, it's worth an absolute <laughs> fortune. <laughs> no, I, 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 I don't understand that either. I mean, first and foremost, yeah, the, the studios, the, the movie makers, they know what they're doing. It's a massive, massive cash cow. Um, and this is why you're seeing props come out so easily now. It didn't happen for a lot of movies, you know, up until Star Wars. Oh, well, prop, you could not buy props as easily as we can now, you know, until the eBay came along. It's as simple as that. And all of a sudden you had auctions for these things. You had to go down to Sotheby's or Christie's or something like that um, to pick up even, you know, the merest little thing, an earring that Joan Collins wore or something, you know, which was fetched a lot of money, bizarrely enough. But now it, they're ten a penny, aren't they? Props. You know, everything comes out. So as we've quite clearly said, it's um, it's a part of the whole package. Coming back to the figures kept in boxes, I don't understand that at all either. Um, the last thing, they do look good in the packaging. <laughs> they do. Um, and then you get them out, some of them can be rather naff. The articulation's <laughs> a, bit, a bit crap. And yes, they're not quite as lifelike once you see them in the proper, you know, you know full light of day. But... Um, you're not going to why keep them in the box. The people who do that are the uh, the real, true saddos, as far as I'm concerned. They're not in it for the uh, the passion of collecting. They're not in it for the... Uh, and, the and they can't even argue that they are, because they're keeping it in, in, in that condition to sell on at some point, to try and... It's an investment. Unless, unless of course, they're, they're buying two of each, <laughs> and one they open and play with, and the other they keep in the box. So do you open and play with all your toys then, Chris? I, I play with everything I can get my hands on, Phil. We've heard. <laughs> so okay, okay, lads. We need to like wrap this up quite quickly now because we're we're uh, running fast out of time. So mo- movie memorabilia. Um, it's one of these things now where I think a lot of the money makers are not going to make money now because there's such a saturation of uh, props and products and so on. But if there was one prop out there which you could have your you can have your hands on um, and have it pride of place in your collection. Um, what would that prop be? And um, I'll start with Simon. <laughs> I knew he was going to ask me first, and, I've, and I was thinking about it, and I was thinking I would love, absolutely love, to have the Batman Begins Batmobile. <laughs> okay, so the original Batmobile. Actually, no, it's in Glasgow at the moment, so uh, there you go. Um, let's move on. Seth? Uh, to be honest, I can't honestly think of anything. There's nothing Not, out there. Nothing of Angelina's you want? It's Angelina's cat suit from uh, <laughs> from Tomb Raider. It wasn't a cat suit, dude. The short yeah. silver thing. What was it then? The wet oh, suit. It's a wet suit. A wet suit then. Somewhat different. 
<laughs> I'm not as depraved as um, the Mac. So, no, seriously, nobody can't is. think of anything. No, nobody is. Caring the community is not working. Um, I suppose for me, it would have to be um, not necessarily a prop, but I've always, always wanted to own a DeLorean. And I don't know why, I just think it's a beautiful car. And um, obviously, Back to the Future, big, big favourite movie of mine from when I was growing up. So if I could get my hands on a DeLorean, I would have a DeLorean. So, Chris, well, uh, you seem to have everything you've always wanted, but if there was one prop that you could have, what would it be? Oh, God. Well, it, at the risk of being boring, it's going to be Gladiator again, I'm sorry to say. It would be the full armour um, with the full decoration that he wears in the final fight with Commodus, and uh, the the full the full hit. It's a great great piece of kit, and the um, the, the story that the the design on the armor tells is it's wonderful. I would love to have that, and if I couldn't have that, I'd love to have Bruce the Shark from Jaws. Imagine that. Ooh, yeah. How cool would that be? With Quint hanging out of it. But it, would n- <laughs> it would never work though, would it? Wouldn't matter. <laughs> wouldn't matter. Okay, I, haven't got a, I haven't got a swimming pool, so so what? He's going to be in dry dock. <laughs> so there we go. That's our. Uh, that's been our round table. There's so much more that we could have spoken about today, and we know there's loads of people out there that collect the same types of things, yeah, for the cinema rooms or for the homes or just for the, the sheer hell of collecting. So if you have any collectors' pieces that you have photographs of and you want to show off, then head over to the memorabilia forum on AV forums. And uh, why not put a link in the podcast forum so listeners can go and have a look at your collections. Our thanks to Chris McAnini, Simon Crust and Seth Gecko, And we'll be back with another roundtable next week. Made by enthusiasts. For enthusiasts. Wow, a free movie, thanks. This is the AV Podcast. And that's all we've got time for for this week's Movies Podcast. If you have any comments, questions, queries or questions, then send your emails to help at avpodcast.co.uk and we'll see you again next week. The AV Podcast was presented by Jason Bradbury and Phil Hinton. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Player Review Team were Chris McAnini, Cass Harlow, Simon Crust and Seth Gecko. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content including sound clips and music is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.